write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly, the podcast where we talk about the writing craft and crafting a writer's life. And you know, when I started a billion years ago in the prehistoric era, just about stone tablets a whole bit, not quite that bad, but close, it seems like. I it was I was taught in journalism school that it was best to pick a niche or pick a form and stick to it. I came out as a nonfiction writer and I have loved doing that, but it's taken all these years really for me to start pushing into other uh, structures and formats and experimenting. And I love that. I think since I've been doing more of that, I've become a better writer. I don't think the rules apply like they did back in the day when I came out. And we're going to talk about that today because I think the writers whom I know that are creating sustainable careers are doing all kinds of things. They are developing their skills in all kinds of markets and areas, and they're following their interests too, which makes the job a whole lot more fun. So we're here to talk about it today with Susan Johnston Taylor. She's a nonfiction writer who's published in uh, for kids. She's been a freelance writer for over a decade and written over a dozen titles for the educational market. She's published nonfiction articles and children's magazines, including highlights for children and Scout Life, and she's written for grown-ups too. Her work has appeared in The Atlantic, The Boston Globe, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, and recently I stumbled across her work, a book of poetry called Animals in Surprising Shades. And Susan, before I go further, your illustrator was Annie Basked, is that right? Yes, Annie Baxt. Okay. And you, listeners and writers, you should check this out because there's a lot going on in this book. Um, it's not like any book of poetry I've ever read, and, and I loved it. Uh, it. It talks about the different the different types of poems, poetry, how they work, what they're called. And uh, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun to learn about the structure of the poems, but also the animals that are in that book. So welcome, Susan, to the show. Thanks, Polly. Good to be here. We start every show with a segment we call the dailies. What does a day in the life of Susan Johnson Taylor look like right now? That is an excellent question. I would say there's really no typical day because things can change based on, um, you know, what I have going on. If I have interviews, if I need to take one of my dogs to the, to the vet or I have other appointments, but typically I get up around eight, eight thirty, and then I'm usually at my laptop by about nine, nine fifteen, um, reading emails, checking social media. Um, right now I am working with a, a publisher of ESL passages in Korea. So typically, and those are for, um, young people learning English. And so oftentimes since our time zones are so disparate, um, oftentimes I will send something to them and then they will respond while I'm asleep. And then I will get their email the next day, um, and respond to any revision requests. 
Um, I'm also working on a couple of feature articles for an alumni magazine, and I have some other educational books that I'm working on. So, so it really varies. I usually take a lunch break around noon. Um, I'll, I'll walk the dogs and then I'll get back to it, um, for the afternoon. So combination of writing time, interviews, answering emails and responding to social media. And those are the dailies. I want to jump right in. You said a couple of things, Susan, that I want to hone in from the beginning because you talked about clients that you're working for in in the Asian markets. You're you're doing all these kind all these different projects. How are how do you organize that time? Is every project at the same stage, every writing project, or are you pitching things while you're finishing other things? How's that working? That's a great question. Um so I am I am pitching projects to traditional publishers and in the picture book market, which is where I'm focusing my um, children's book writing. Typically for a picture book, you write the full manuscript um, and then you shop it around to editors and agents. So I'm doing that. And then I am also working on projects for educational publishers, and that's typically less pitching and more writing to their specifications. Um, I also have some writing clients in the adult space. And again, those tend to be like the alumni magazine. It tends to be more um, them coming to me, coming to me with an idea versus me, me pitching an idea to them. How did you land in the kids space and how did you start incorporating, um, you know, the adult clients or, or the adult type type of articles and so forth and merge all that together? Sure. So um, I started out freelancing for adults. I went full time in 2008 and kind of ended up carving out a niche in personal finance and small business. I wrote money articles for the website of U.S. News and World Report for six and a half years. And eventually around 2016, I was starting to feel a little burnt out, like I had written a zillion articles on mortgages and insurance and credit cards, and I felt like I needed a new creative challenge. So, and, and my husband felt that as well. <laughs> so um, he challenged me to just try, try writing something else, anything else. And I said, the first thing that popped into my head, it seemed like a, a wacky idea at the time. I looked at our dog, um, Sebastian, who's a sweet little um, Chihuahua mix rescue dog. And I said, okay, why don't I write a picture book about Sebastian? And it seemed like a wild and crazy idea. And my husband was like, yeah, I think you should. And so I ended up um, writing a manuscript about him and me imagining the story of what his life was like before, before we adopted him. And it, it, that story is probably never going to get published because it, it, it's a sweet story, but it's sort of derivative. There's nothing really special about it that would make it stand out in the market, but it did spark my interest in, in writing for kids. And that same year we ended up moving to Austin, Texas. And I got hooked up with the writing barn, which is only about a 10 minute drive from here. It's kind of feels like a summer camp for adults and they have all these writing classes online and in person. So I went to their picture book intensive and started taking classes there and really fell in love with writing for kids. And then in 2020, I became a writing barn fellow, um, which is basically you, you TA for classes and you assist the 
the instructors on the administrative side. And then this year when my book came out, I actually started teaching um, online at the Writing Barn. So I've really loved the creative challenge of, of writing for children and distilling, I think particularly with my background in journalism, I really love distilling concepts um, for kids and finding creative ways to impart information. Like my poetry book that you mentioned, it's um, it goes in rainbow order. So each spread presents a different animal in an unusual color, like the red poison dart frog and the orange newt and the yellow ghost crab. And then to reflect the biodiversity of these animals, it's they're each of them are in a different poetic form. So you're learning not just about the animal, but about different different types of poetry. So I really enjoyed that creative challenge in um, getting kids excited about the science of the animals and also hopefully getting them excited about um, poetry. And because I've always loved poetry, but I've discovered that a lot of kids and a lot of adults um, are a little bit afraid of poetry. Um, they've been taught some very rigid rules around poetry. So they're, they're a little bit intimidated by it. And I hope that this collection feels really um, accessible and fun rather than intimidating. Yeah, I, I loved it for exactly that. Um, I have been a little uncomfortable and sometimes put off by some poetry because it isn't accessible and it's not speaking in a language that I understand. And I, I went to your book and I, I felt like you were having fun writing it. And I was totally, you know, like the Pregunta poem. I didn't know there was a Pregunta poem structure. And so it was, it was pretty fun. I, I'm interested that you had an established niche, finance, money, and a job, right? Which is nice for, I mean, you were writing for US News and World Report, have a regular client. And then you went as far away from that in the other realm. Do you think, first of all, was that a scary move for you? And do you think it's made your writing better or, or your career better? Well, I, I think it's made me a better writer um, because I've really learned to, in picture books, every word counts. So I've really learned some strategies for word economy and distilling information. Um, and it's challenged me you know, creatively to say things in different ways. So yes, it's made me a better writer. And, um, you know, there have been some opportunities where all of my um, interests converge. Like I have one project that I'm that I'm trying to sell and it looks at um, entrepreneurship through a kid friendly lens. Um, so I think that would be a really fun project to get get kids excited about starting businesses. Um, and I would love to write more more about money and business kind of at the intersection of all of those interests. And, you know, before I really decided to focus on writing for children, I had dabbled in it a little bit, you know, early in my freelance career when I was finding my way and I was looking for markets. I had written for um, Boys Life magazine, which is now Scout Life. Um, I had written for some other magazines for kids, especially about, um, you know, I've done a number of articles on kidpreneurs, kids, kids starting businesses, and also um, about like teaching kids the very basics um, about money. So then when I decided to make writing for children more of a focus, um, I already had a little bit of experience 
um, in that space. And actually, when I joined the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, which is an international um, organization for people who who create books for kids and teens, um, I was already able to join at the PAL level, which is published, published and listed, um, because I had a couple of um, magazine clips. I, I qualified for sort of that that higher tier of membership, which was cool. Do you think there's a risk to mixing it up like that, to doing a mix of different markets and different writing styles? Or in this day and age with things being so big and so global and so diverse, there's a benefit? Well, I think um, definitely, like if I were writing more racy content, which I, for adults, which I really don't, but that would be a risk. Um, obviously. Um, but yeah, I would be, I would be concerned about, you know, I think in that instance, maybe that author would want to consider using a pseudonym maybe for their, for their children's work. And some, some authors do, if they, you know, if they write for different, wildly different age groups, sometimes they do have different, different names for, um, sort of the different personas that they write for. Um, I think in this, in this day and age, it's sort of like, like you would want to diversify your investment portfolio between stocks, bonds, equities, maybe some, maybe some real estate or some REITs. Um, I view it sort of similarly as not putting all my freelance eggs in one basket. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, like I opened the show with years ago, it was really, you wanted a niche and you wanted to be a nonfiction writer in that niche or, you know, a novelist. And then that's all you would do in, in this day and age. And really in the last 15 years, really since the internet, right? 20 years, probably. Um, even when people have a niche, the writers that I know, they're doing what you're doing. Like they might have expertise in, in finance or money, but they're finding ways to appeal to different audiences, both in the corporate market as content writers and nonfiction articles for adults and kids market. Like you mentioned some of the projects you're looking at that, that relate to money. I think people who last in this profession now are finding a way to bring their expertise and their interests. Cause it's more fun to write about something you want to know about you're curious about their expertise, and their interests to those different markets. And I think it's, I think it's smart business. I just think it makes sense now. And, and, and by diversif diversifying, it's not like I'm saying, it's not just one market, it's different forms. Like I know many people who are doing content writing and they're writing nonfiction books and they're working on a novel or whatever that is. So there are ways of, of, uh, making a living at this when you open up your focus on the type of thing you're writing i think i'm i'm thinking here if i want to jump into the next big topic what i think we're going to do is take a break and we'll be back on simply write with polly which is part of the creators network of electrocast when we come back with journalist and author of animals and surprising shades susan johnston taylor and we're going to talk a little bit about craft. We're going to talk about how to write short and still convey the energy and emotion that really suck readers in and a whole lot more when we come back on Simply Write with Polly right after this. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, 
a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectroCast. And we are back. Welcome back to Simply Right with Polly. We are part of the Creators Network on Electrocast, and today we're talking with author and journalist Susan Johnson Taylor. She is the author of Animals in Surprising Shades and other books in the educational space. She also writes articles, nonfiction articles, and journalism pieces for adult audiences. And we've been talking about the value of diversifying your your craft and your markets. Susan, have you always been a writer? Is this something that you honed in on since the beginning? You you knew this was where you were going to focus? I mean, <laughs> child Susan wanted to be a poet and an author. So um, it's really kind of cool. And my mom has some like, pay, you know, little papers from school papers from maybe second or third grade where I, I wrote that and I illustrated it and I guess I manifested it because now I have a poetry collection and I'm published in some poetry anthologies and I have some other projects. So yes, I have always loved writing and poetry and now I get to write for a living. So that's uh, that's pretty great. And I think that child Susan would be very excited to see that that came true. Yeah, well, good for child Susan, because I think um, it's easy to be daunted when you're looking from outside the profession in and, and, you know, like we're just talking about, I think there are a lot of ways in, but it is work and you have to be knowledgeable about the business side, as well as the writing side. So how did you come to poetry then as a professional writer when you're doing all this other stuff and the poetry market is a totally different thing well i think a lot of a lot of picture books even if they're not written in verse have a very poetic feel to them the the word economy use of figurative language so as i've studied the market i've i've read a lot of picture books and i've studied the poetic and the literary techniques that they use. Um, I'm also very into, into music. Um, I'm a classically trained soprano. So I think that that, that musical background also lends itself to the rhythm and the sounds of words. And there is, I think the adult poetry market is very different from the, the children's market. There's both of them are definitely tough, but because poetry is part of the elementary school curriculum, there really is a hunger for kid-friendly poetry. And particularly my book combines um, poetry and English concepts with STEM. So there's definitely demand for lyrical STEM books as well. I gather that you thought about that very specifically as a writer, the structure you were going to use, how to pull those curriculum things into the book you wanted to write. How did you begin researching that and learning about those opportunities and then looking at structure? Because, you know, I think sometimes writers forget that structure is part of the creative process. It's essential to creating a book of any kind or an article of any kind. So how did you pull all that together and know that there was a place for animals in surprising shades or the other things you're working on? 
I think, I don't think I was necessarily thinking about curriculum tie-ins from the very start. I was really just following my own personal um, curiosity. And I think that with me being relentlessly curious, that's a very childlike quality. So I think that's one of the things that draws me to to writing for kids. Um, and that's also that curiosity has served me well in the journalism space as well. So the initial inspiration was I read about the Malabar giant squirrels of India. And I started to think about animals in surprising shades, unusual colors that we wouldn't expect. And then I started to think about, well, maybe this is a concept book for kids exploring animals in different colors. And then I had read a number of poetry collections um, and other books by the amazing Jane Yolen and who is still, she's published over 400 books. She's incredible. And I thought if I were Jane Yolen, I would write this as a poetry collection. And then I said, well, I'm not Jane Yolen, but maybe I maybe I can still try it as a poetry collection. So I did. And the um the idea to you to really introduce those poetic forms came a little bit a little bit later in the process during during the revision process. And I also didn't know about Pergunta poems, but I researched a lot of different poetic forms to try to bring a lot of a lot of variety into into the book. And, um, yeah. And there were, there were a lot more animals. <laughs> there were a lot more animals that I researched that didn't end up making it into the finished book because I really wanted to choose a variety of animals, different habitats, different species, um, and, and really bring a, a lot of color and variety to the page. Well, book two, right. Is the animals that didn't make the first cut. All right. Yeah, or someone misread the title. They said animals in surprising shapes. And I oh. said, well, maybe that's maybe that's book two. There you go. There you go. I think that's really interesting. You touched on it earlier when you talked about the economy of writing. One of the hardest things I do for me personally as a writer is write short. It's extremely difficult because you want to pack the same emotion and the same, you know, you want there to be a peg, you want, you want there to be tension and energy. What are some of the techniques you use to really make sure you're getting the right word in the right place? Was there any special way? Yeah, I think um, verbs are really, really powerful when there's a temptation to use a verb and an adverb to modify or amplify that verb. I think that's an opportunity to revisit the verb and see if you can find a stronger verb that doesn't require a modifier. Um, I mean, I looked at YouTube videos of some of the animal, or all of the animals that I could find that are in this poetry collection to really get a sense of how they move through their environments. So there are verbs here like slithers, gliding, um, blending, um, curving, um, so I really tried to use really powerful verbs that wouldn't wouldn't require any any modifiers and that also would really give the reader a sense of of motion. Yeah, I think I think that was really effective because and I've never heard it said like that. If you find yourself using an adverb to modify the verb, go back to the verb then and pick a better word. Right. I, th I think that's a that's a good way of saying that in a good practice, uh, because. Yeah, your the words you chose did convey action, but they also 
there is that rhythm you were talking about um, too, and like a word like slither, you know, and and the music of the words. So good job on that. It's very cool. If you uh, if if there are writers out here listening to this and they want to get into the children's book market or even uh, poetry, any tips or tricks that they should think about as they start that process? Yeah, you, I think you want to read a lot in the market. Max out your library card if you can. Um, read read the classics, but also read recently published books, ideally published within the last three years, because the market really changes quickly. And the books that we grew up loving as children, a lot of them are wordier than the books that are published today. There's really, really a movement for tight word economy and also leaving room for the illustrator, which means not not necessarily narrating something that can be shown in the illustrations. So read, read poetry, read as many recently published books as you can. Look at look at the award winners like the Caldecott, the Newberries, um, if you're interested in nonfiction for children, the Seibert Medal, um, and, and read those recent award winners to see what is really being held up as an exemplar in the children's publishing space. Um, and then I would also say find critique partners because we don't really do this so much. I think novelists do, but in terms of journalists, we're so deadline driven that we don't tend to show our work to our peers. We're just sending it to our editors for feedback. But in children's publishing, there's really a culture of workshopping with critique partners and getting their their point of view on if the story arc makes sense, if they connect with the characters, um, have other people read your work aloud because picture books and a lot of other children's books are intended to be read aloud. So you really want to think about the read aloud experience and the page turns um, and develop those relationships with with critique partners so that you can give and get honest feedback because critiquing other people's work will also um, improve your your own work and sharpen your editorial eye. I think those are great tips. And I really liked what you said earlier when you wrote your, your first book about your dog, that it was really derivative and may not ever see the light of day. I think what we forget is we look at the pictures and the short body of prose and we think oh you know that's not a problem but it is these are complicated stories conveying a lot of motion a lot of tension a, a you know a, a lot of emotion and messages that not only entertain the kids but might leave the world a better place and the the time you've given to market study and honing your craft and and working with other i mean this is a business this is not just about the writing it's about knowing structure and how to convey it and what the market will hold and working with other writers so i think that's valuable do you feel like sometimes children's book writers get or picture book writers get short shrift that people just think oh anybody could do that yeah there's a set there's people who aren't in the industry tend to think like, oh yeah, if, if I had the time, I would write a children's book. And um, it's, it's, I think there was a colleague of mine was on a plane sitting next to a surgeon and he said to her, oh, if I had time, I would write, I would write a children's book. And then she, she sort of thought to herself, well, if I had time, I would, I would perform surgery. <laughs> and, you know, he, he, you know, honed his skills and he trained for years and years and um it's the same for it's the same for children's book authors i mean there are there are people who have labored over the same 500 word story 
for five, six, seven years before it's published because, you know, they needed that exact right word. They needed to deepen the character development and those, I mean, <laughs> the amount of time that you spend on a 500 word nonfiction article versus the time that you might spend on a uh, 500 word picture book is night and day. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Because like I said, writing short for me and my, you know, my shorts for magazines or what, it's really hard for me. I can't even imagine writing a children's book. I, I have to tell you, I mean, to me, it seems like one of the hardest forms. There's so many variables to think about. And I always laugh. It's like, People say that all the time too about nonfiction writers or, you know, I have, I have a couple of books out and, and yeah, I have a book in me, you know, my hairdresser has a book in her and I'm like, yeah, well, I don't cut my own hair. You know, I've trained for years to learn how to do this. And I think that's why the writers you're reading, they're still in business because they're doing the work behind the scenes to become better writers. If you want that, there are opportunities out there, writers, you can create that, but, but do the work. Do the work. What's in the desk? Susan Johnson Taylor, what's in your desk? What do you like to have around you when you're writing, if anything at all? <laughs> oh, my desk is a is a mess. I have <laughs> um, scratch paper where I've jotted down ideas. I have the usual pens, highlighters, um, post-its. But I think one of the more unusual things on my desk is I have um, a little painted rock. And I, I have it there because it inspires me to remember who I'm writing for. And that's kids. And I ended up buying this painted rock at a children's business fair before, before the pandemic. I was, I was walking around and kind of looking for story ideas. And I did actually get a story idea from a different, um, a different stand at this, at this business fair. But um, I saw a group of girls who were selling painted rocks and I, my first thought was, oh, those poor girls, like who's going to, who's going to buy their rocks. There's <laughs> other people who are, there's other people who are selling baked goods. And there was a kid who had 3d printed, um, a little invention that he made that distracted your dog so that you could trim their nails, which wow. was really smart. And I bought one, yeah. um, and it was really smart. And I thought, you know, these painted rocks, like they don't really serve a function. Who's going to buy these? But then I got closer to, to these girls and they started talking about inventory. And of course, you know, being a sucker and wanting to support young women entrepreneurs, I purchased one of their painted rocks because I was so impressed by how, how they were really taking this seriously as a business. And they had thought about, you know, things like inventory and supply and demand. So um, I now have one of have one of their rocks in my possession. And it reminds me of who I'm writing for it. Those very precocious um, kid printers, future, hopefully future female CEOs. And that's what's in the desk. All right, Susan Johnson Taylor, author of Animals in Surprising Shades, illustrated by Annie Bast. Thank you for your time and your book and the work you're doing. Where can we catch up with you? Where can we get the book and see what else you're up to? Sure. Well, Animals in Surprising Shades should be available um, 
through your local bookstore. It's also available from Barnes and Noble, Amazon, walmart.com. Um, and be sure to ask at your local library. We love library purchases. I believe it's available in over 120 libraries all over right. the country. If your library doesn't have it, please ask them to purchase it. And then online, you can find me at stailorwrites.com. And I'm also Urban Muse Writer on Instagram and also the platform formerly known as Twitter. And you can find me at polycampbell.com and be sure to join our Simply Write community on Substack. That's at simplywrite.substack.com. We talk more about the business of writing and the life of writing and I'll have links for, to Susan there and also in the show notes. You can find out more about what we're up to. Join that community, simplywrite.substack.com. All right, we're going to wrap it up, writers. Let's get writing. Remember, as you go into the week, the words of Joe Bunting, it doesn't matter how many book ideas you have if you can't finish writing one book. Let's get after it and sit down, writers, and simply write. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B, and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monicelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Electric acid. Electric acid.